For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here for this year, this week's Know Your Foe episode, and our guest is none other than Jake of the OBR Report, uh, Jake Burns. Jake, how you doing? Ken, I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It uh, feels like we were just doing these. You know, it's uh, it's always a flash forward. It's like, oh yeah, new year, six months have passed, seven months, and we're doing them again. But that's always an enjoyment of mine. One of the better chats I have all year with uh, with anybody covering football. So I'm I'm happy to be here. I I really appreciate that, and I feel the same way. Uh, your your stuff is just fantastic, Jake. If you haven't uh, caught up with Jake, uh, your Twitter handle is yeah, it's at Jake underscore Burns eighteen. Yep. All right. Uh, make sure you give him a follow. If Browns fans in general are extremely dedicated to their team, but more more than that, they're knowledgeable. I, I used to think the same of Indians fans a number of years ago. And now I'm just out of touch. It's not that Indians fans are are, are not still very knowledgeable, but uh, the Indians fans of the 1980s, I'm really talking about, had a, had a good understanding of baseball, even though they, they were a uh, 
uh, you know, a struggling lot in terms of, of the team on the field. But but we've always found that the, the Browns fans, the discussion, if you go out to some of the Browns boards, very high level. And uh, and uh, Jake is uh, certainly uh, one of the people who I trust most to give information on the on the Cleveland Browns. So, Jacob, appreciate you coming. Hey, thanks for that. I, I appreciate the compliment. I would agree. For the most part, Browns fans or every fan base has some some folks that don't want to get it or are unwilling to get it. But yeah, they we do, I think, okay with with enough people that try to cover it and do different angles. So yeah, we uh it's amazing, Ken. They don't give us much to be positive about, but but the the <laughs> people find a way to follow, that's for sure. Okay, I have to uh, do a brief uh sponsor thank you, uh Liquid Death, the water that will murder your thirst. Uh, outstanding uh, uh, sponsor, and please give their product a try. Uh, there'll be a little more on them later. Jake, let's get right, dive right into it with the Cleveland Browns this year, and uh, you know, talk about the off season for first. And I think we, you and I have done enough on the whole Deshaun Watson situation. I don't want to really waste twenty minutes of a great discussion with you talking about that. It will resolve itself, I'm sure, over the next what five weeks now. Yeah, week eleven, whenever that is, late late October, something like that. Yeah. So he uh, he and just to, to to frame this up a little bit, he will his contract will not toll to next year, correct? So this is the first of five years with the Browns, correct? Yeah, since he came back this year, he does get a a year credited to that contract, correct? And does uh, is in as you saw that play out, and this is the only question I'll ask about it, it was that almost like a penalty to the Browns themselves for having signed uh Watson or was it just a, a a compromise with Watson to try and get him to agree to something uh to finish the deal for both sides that's a good question I think the thing that's been heavily debated the most about why Watson picked Cleveland is the contract right seems like Cleveland <clears throat> at least as far as I know was sort of out of it we had all at the time moved on uh then the next day or two I don't know the timeline's murky at this point it's been so long it just gets announced that he signed. And well, a large reason people felt like he signed was this contract, 230 million guaranteed dollars. Now, yeah, that's probably, I mean, it's a big part of it. I, I'm almost positive his agent could have taken that to other teams. And I'm sure some of those teams, Saints, Panthers, Falcons, were desperate enough to match it. I, I mean, it, I have a hard time thinking that they would be all in to be the point that they were to take all the media scrutiny that came with everybody being all in and then saying, ah, we actually, we won't match that contract. If you know anything, Ken, and I know you guys are in the thick of it of trying to figure out Lamar's next contract, but like you're going to pay him. Even if the money's not guaranteed, he's probably, if he's the guy you think he is, going to earn almost every penny in that contract. It's just how, barring injury. That's that's it. Like they're going to earn that money. So I just have a hard time thinking that teams that were as desperate as some of the teams that were in the mix and obviously including Cleveland, they wouldn't have matched it. So I think a little bit of it is he chose Cleveland uh, because it fit a lot of the, uh, the parts of a football team he was looking for at the time. And some of it is like, Hey, you know, these guys are willing to do this contract. I'm just going to take it. So like to your point, was there a compromise? Um, maybe I think, I, I think there could be right. But I also think that the Browns and Watson under this understanding that they're just going to keep restructuring his deal. His cap hit is really challenging mm -hmm. um, over the next four years after this first year, because this first year they converted a massive amount into a bonus, which is pretty standard for Cleveland contracts. They do a lot of, push down the line that's why they lead the nfl in open salary cap right now because they love to do rollover situations to cover those tax bills later you know the cap's going to increase but you got to you got to still be able to roll some money into a future uh, that you want to bump up some of these guys salaries so um yeah to, to the to the crux of your question i'm sure there was a conversation about plausible outcomes on the suspension and cleveland was probably 
more than willing to say, we don't care if you play five games, seven games, eight games the first year. We'll run the contract as is under the full intention that he's going to finish his career in Cleveland. It's it would it would not be put it this way. I would be really, really, really surprised. I'm sure Houston people were saying this when he signed the contract mm-hmm. a few years ago, but I would be really surprised if he didn't finish his con his, his time in Cleveland and they'll keep working contracts down the line. So, you know, obviously the situation is unfortunate missing this many games, six games was certainly more stomachable in terms of the salvation of a season than 11 games. I think he was justifiably suspended 11 games based on everything that we've heard and gathered from this situation. I think you could, I'm not the morality police, but you could easily talk me into more. Um, but you know, nonetheless, the situation is out of my control. So I just analyzed what's happened and it put the Browns in a really precocious situation. So they're in this situation now where they had a bunch of difficulty in the scenario uh, of, of what could happen in these first few games and they're in the thick of it. But I think with Watson, they were more than willing to do the first year, knowing it would probably toll on a limited number of games, given the full understanding that he would be around for a long time and they'd work out a couple more deals probably in this whole thing. So um, it stinks and we're in the thick of this Brown situation where they're playing a quarterback who's not as good mm-hmm. and uh, is giving them a roller coaster, but th- at the same time, they're they're uh, they're they're trying, I think, to just get to what the the long term view will be here, which is a better quarterback overall. Right, and and even with this, they're right in the hunt for the division lead, and and if they win this game, they're certainly uh, could well be in first place in the division. I guess if the Bengals lose, right? So yeah, uh, so that's a good uh, point. I think all of us are a little frustrated. I think you're you're yeah. you're you know your guys are you're covering, and the Ravens themselves in house, they're frustrated. But that's is as brutal as it's been for Cleveland to be two and four. They're 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 it's so easily explainable to be four and two right now. I mean, it really is a missed kick, a missed went game winning field goal against the Chargers, and a, and the, the the New York Jets game. I'm sure your folks maybe didn't follow mm-hmm. it all too closely, but they're up thirty to seventeen with under two minutes left and give the game away in the last two minutes. Like sixteen things had to go right for New York, and they did. Now that's very Cleveland Browns, but that's. Still, like you can see, and I'm not even talking about the Atlanta game that they could have won if they converted red zone trips and like some other thing. I'm just saying four and two is very understandable, but two and four, as down as you feel, and it's like, oh, you're right there. They play Baltimore this week, you know, obviously that's why I'm here. And then they play Cincy. And if they come out of that at four and four, they're right in the thick of everything they want to do this year. So, yeah, that's what I sh- I'm sure can the internal conversation is in Berea. Yeah, we're disappointed, but you know, everything's still there. Everything is still there that they want to do this year. The same way I think everybody in the AFC North feels even Pittsburgh coming off of that upset over Tampa Bay. Yeah. yeah I, I, I agree with that. I want to go back to the, to the numbers on the Watson contract. Cause that's one of the things that's kind of frustrated Steve Bishotti and the Ravens organization is they don't really want to give a fully guaranteed contract to Lamar Jackson. They've made that pretty clear. Um, and, and he, Bishotti even said, I wish he hadn't had done that. I, I, I kind of wonder because the Browns could do it, and, and Bashadi is, a, you know, he's the wealthiest man in Maryland, I believe, or tied for it right now. So he certainly has the money to uh, to lay out in terms of the escrow dollars required. And any NFL owner could borrow it and and put it up. So you can you can always find it. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I wonder if that contract was not intended to say we want this to be the new standard because we can do it. So, you know, we're happy to play this guy that much money. So that's part of it. But also, we're happy to screw every other team that needs a quarterback now down the line with a fully guaranteed contract. And the Watson, sorry, not the Watson situation, the Jackson situation is very difficult because he doesn't have an agent, which what that means is every single bigwig within the NFLPA is his agent or so they think. 
And they're mm-hmm. all in his ear, you know, trying to tell him, you need to take guaranteed money. You need to make sure this is a new standard set, blah, 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 blah. If he just had Drew Rosenhaus or Scott Boris at this point, actually would be better, I think, in terms of, of the potential for a, uh, for a, a, you know, a reasoned outcome where at least Lamar's interests were considered and not within the context of all these other quarterbacks are going to get paid. That's very well said. And I, I think... I think Cleveland had to know, okay, when they sit down to do all the things they're doing, when whoever's idea it was, could have been Andrew Barry, could have been Jimmy Haslam, I don't know, could have been a capologist who brought the idea to them and just said, hey, sort of, pardon my language, but screw it. We're going to throw this against the wall. What if this is what salvages his interest to come to Cleveland? When the idea was brought up, there had to be a talk about this with Jimmy Haslam, who is made of money. Listen, he doesn't align with a lot of things I believe in life, and he's done some things that I don't think uh, if they were ever brought to light, some of them have been, some of them haven't been. I, he's done more things behind back doors than I'll ever know. I mean, I don't, I, I'm not all too proud of Cleveland's ownership group, put it that way. But um, my point is he's, he's made of money. They, they, they print money that the Haslam's do. So they, the, the, the question of the first question is, do we have it? We don't have to borrow it. We don't have to do any, we have it. They can do it. Not all owners, Cincinnati with, you know, with, um, the Brown family there, you notice you can sort of pay attention. Stadium naming rights got sold. Some other things are happening in Cincinnati to create more revenue. They see it. Not that they see 230 guaranteed for Joe Burrow, but they see something of we need to bump the scale here. So what I think happens is you sit down and you ask this question. Are we willing to do this fiscally? Yeah, we can do it. Are we desperate enough to do it? Well, Baker Mayfield made them desperate, right? They built everything around having a quarterback and then if the quarterback that you spent the first overall pick on is not the guy that you thought he could be after his rookie year and after you drafted him, then you, you're, in, you're in crisis mode. You're in mm-hmm. crisis mode. You just are. And when you get, a, you get a team with everything riding on this who has uh, uh, guys who know that, you know, I, I, I believe that Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, the head coach and GM, are very smart guys. They're Ivy League guys who, who I'm not saying they're smarter than the average football analyst at all. What I'm saying is I think they can – they can grasp the big picture. This is your chance. You are never known that you never know if you have another chance to get that next head coaching job or that next GM job. So they say, this is rare. This is an opportunity that doesn't really come along very often where a quarterback is actually sort of a free agent and he can pick. And if he picks us to pick, like we can, we we're, we're competing, truly competing. Like, like Ken, you can answer this for me a little bit here, but like was, who's the last really true free agent? quarterback in their prime and Deshaun's young yeah. prime climbing ascending yeah. it's it's like the NFL's equivalent of LeBron I don't, I'm not saying he's the LeBron of the NFL but what I'm saying is the way that they structure things in the NFL made it so this is the largest sweepstakes we've ever had for a quarterback in their prime so then you start to get teams saying we'll do this we'll do that we'll do this we'll do that and it escalated to this point and I am sure there were ramifications known by Jimmy and the people that run the cap and look at the NFL landscape and saying we are risking a lot here. We are changing everything. And they had to sit down and A, be okay with the person Deshaun, which they, you know, we'll see if that works out or not, but they said they were. And B, okay with ticking off 31 other owners in front offices because the st- the standard of business put them in that situation to say, we're so desperate, we'll do this. And that's what they said they were fine with, Ken. Here's the other group that I never hear talked about because you're right. The owners are pissed off. Other other teams that need a quarterback now have this escalated value they have to pay. But it's a zero-sum game in terms of total cap dollars. So re- if revenue doesn't go up, there should be 1,700 players at the NFLPA pissed off. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I don't 
I, I really don't respect the NFLPA for 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 being chippy in Lamar's ear about make sure you get guaranteed money. What they're basically saying is make sure you screw all these offensive linemen and defensive linemen and other every other position on the field, all 21 other starters out of money because you deserve it more. Yeah. I've, I've often thought that the NFL, and I maybe have talked to you about this before that I know the NFL is trying to, to tip the scales and balance things a little bit here because they know that when you do find that quarterback, the one you guys have in Baltimore, the Buffalo, the Kansas city, how can we still give other teams a chance to be competitive? Maybe we, that's the big thing, right? The quarterback eats up this much money. Well, you got to be smarter here, 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 and here, mm-hmm. right? If you're going to go against that quarterback brain, you can build out all these other things and cheaply pay either a rookie or some sort of lower tier veteran and try to limp your way around, right? Do it the other way. I get it. But at the same time, to your point, it does really eat up what other guys can make. And I've always thought that maybe a salary cap count, the quarterbacks can still get their money. But can you say 70% of their guaranteed dollars is the cap hit for the year? Can you take some of that back? I just, I don't know. It's not a perfect solution. But what mm-hmm. I'm saying is, can you find a way to still pay the quarterbacks who do drive franchise success the money, but also still sort of keep some of those cap dollars available to disperse to running backs underpaid or whoever, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To, to me, the way to do that, you, you can't say 70% of the capitalists. I don't think you can. I know they do that with the vets. So that's something where they make a little adjustment there, but that's relatively small. I think what you could, you could cap as a percentage of revenue, what a quarterback can earn and say, you know, look, we know, we know people want to pay quarterbacks, but we're capping it at, you know, 16% of the cap or whatever for, for every mm-hmm. team. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, they, uh, I, None of those are going to make people happy, but the relative number of unhappy people, uh, in if you if you cap it at sixteen percent, is about six, you know, or eight. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. some small number. So yeah. you, uh, anyway. it is. But th- I think that's again, I'm not perfect with cap understanding of every sport, but the NBA has a max offer. You know, mm-hmm. you can only make so much as a, and they tear it out, and they do it for certain guys who have been with franchises for a portion of time, and they give them one of those bird rights they give them, and all those other things. So like. I just think quarterback is so unique and so it's paid so differently and it's not 15 guys on the roster. It's 53 at minimum. Mm-hmm. And then you're adding in the practice squad. No, there's just more to it. So I've always thought, you know, there's a way to sort of cultivate this where I'm not talking about balancing competitive scales here. I'm just talking about, you know, a running backs duration in this league or a, or a, or a defensive tackle. You're only going to see like four to five year average careers. If a guy's mm-hmm. decent and like, you know, hey, you couldn't make as much money as you possibly could have just because the quarterback made thirty-eight million that year, right? So that's like that's a thing. It's like these guys have the shortest playing career of any other sport, and they really get strangle held by some of the way the cap was unfair sometimes. It's a, it's a fantastic point, and you know what? Bigger quarterback salaries actually re- they reduce money to other positions, which effectively means they reduce career length at yes. other positions because yeah. you you basically are second. I mean. You know the mantra around the entire NFL among analysts is second running back contracts are are a big mistake. Don't make them with anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but but if you know if that's really the case, then you you, you should have talent shifts. I had another good show this uh, this off season with a guy. We were talking about the wide receiver money that was being doled out because it was at an unbelievable number. And uh, one of the points was that the the with it organizations are kind of saying no to this. The Packers, the Ravens, and the Chiefs being notably at the forefront of that are saying, you know, we're not going to pay a wide receiver. Uh, if you want to pay Tyreek Hill $30 million and trade your whole draft future for him, go ahead. But it's not our problem, of course. 
Ravens got burned a couple times by Hill and the loss to Miami. But, um, but you know, it, it, your Twitter followers get upset, but the people who really care about the team winning, um, you know, consistently over a period of time are happy. I think that, that they didn't spend so much money at wide receiver. Yeah. It is, it is shifting. And I just have, I just have thought as quarterback money continues to rise, the next deal is more than the last deal. It's very sure. rare that you see that the deal is after the big deal is less. It's just rare. I mean, there's generational stuff, but like, I just think that, for example, Cleveland had a young man named Larry Ogunjobi, right? He's bounced around. He went to Cincinnati. Now he's with Pittsburgh. And the Browns have a terrible defensive tackle room right now, which we'll dive into here in a minute. It's terrible. And Larry was never great in Cleveland, but he was always respectable. And it's like, you know, if you think, can you find, I think, I just think the scale of second contracts in the NFL, it's this uncomfortable situation where, you're talking about to your greater point and what we're referencing the quarterback dollars. Everybody starts to get nervous about quarterback money because at that time, Baker Mayfield's next deal was looming and there was, he was coming off a very strong 2020 to the point that most people thought that there was a pretty much a lock. A deal was coming uh, in some form or fashion. And then you just, you start having to cut other places and it's like, you would, you would like to see guys like Larry be able to stick around those guys who are not great players but they're still in their young peak that they could get even better, which is what has happened to him. So that's just like, to your point, the slimming of some of those those other little spots that just hurts. It hurts. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Larry Ogunjobi, huge Ravens killer, by the way. And, and I know I've had you on the show before, and you've mm-hmm. often made the point that he didn't quite play as well versus other teams, but he absolutely killed the Ravens over the years. So. Yeah, I don't know if that's been consistent sticking around the division and the, all the other teams now in the division, but but he is when he was in Cleveland, yeah, he was a guy that played really well um, against Baltimore. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I just often think about this, about how the middle class of the NFL, not the middle class uh, – upper middle class, right? Or like the 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 high end, like the Nick Chubbs for Cleveland has been signed and the mm-hmm. the quality guards, if you're really, really good at your but the guys who are just respectable that you just you let them go and then you're trying to fill them and then there's just no guarantee you fill it. And I understand the draft cycle and you have to do that stuff. So it doesn't miss me, but it's just like uh some of those guys you would you don't see a guy like Larry Ogan Joby's quality waltz out of your baseball organization you don't see it you just don't mm-hmm. see it you don't see it in basketball either really he would probably be signed to a decent deal so that's um the quarterback stuff i do think the nfl is going to have to focus on it the lamar stuff is fascinating because you know i i've i i said it when the deal with watson happened and people were like well it's going to change everything i said i don't know because the owners still hold the power they still do and in the situation with watson is not the any it, his his contract re-signed with Houston was the example. It wasn't groundbreaking deal. It was a good deal for a court, but it wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't Mahomes' deal. So like his situation was so unique. And I just wonder if there's going to be common ground found on some of these future deals. Now we've seen some Russell Wilson's deal, and there's some been some that have happened since where it's like, you know, people thought everything was going to change in terms of these deals and guaranteed dollars. It's not. There's uniqueness to it. But as Lamar fights, and I, I think Lamar is worth everything he's going to get, like it just is the way that the owners are willing to bend on it and the way that the NFLPA and somebody like Lamar, who's in a unique bargaining position and the way he's approaching it, it is the most, I'll put it this way, Kim, it is the single most interesting contract that will be signed in the next five to 10 years. I just think it is. Coming off what happened with Watson, coming off where where he is as an MVP, former MVP, peak of his powers, and the franchise leans on him for so much, so much. 
that deal will be so fascinating. And I will be closely watching it as I think in the entire NFL will and everybody who knows or cares about the dollars of the league will. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, let's let's move on to this game here because we've. I said we wouldn't talk about Deshaun Watson, and we're twenty minutes in. I apologize for that. It's my fault. So. <laughs> it's a it's a good talk. We, we're, it's, a, it's a lot of fun stuff to talk about there when you're analyzing the league beyond just Lamar, but Lamar and Deshaun. But yeah, where the league is shifting because it's so fascinating as these dollars keep trickling up. Great philosophical discussion. But tell us a little bit about the Browns offseason here, some of their big moves, and maybe go through their draft and and who's mm-hmm. performing out of that. Yeah, so they didn't have a first-round pick. As we all know, they passed on not only the last year's pick, but they passed on the next two first-round picks, which Texans are probably watching right now, feeling like, okay. Um, uh, so they they didn't have a pick until the second round, which they traded out of 44, moved down, gathered some extra picks. They took a young man named Martin Emerson first, who was a cornerback out of Mississippi State. He's playing fine. He's gotten a lot of snaps because Greedy Williams was out for a large portion of the beginning of the season, the uh, young man in the last year of his deal out of LSU. And then Denzel Ward missed last game with a concussion. I think he's still in concussion protocol for this week, so I'm not sure if Denzel Ward's going to play. But uh, Emerson has been fine. Uh, they drafted uh, uh, another couple players. Let me pull up there. It's 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 uh, it's been it's been Alex a minute Wright, since the Browns. David yeah, Bell. so so yeah. Alex Wright uh, was the next pick. It's the these guys that get picked and picked in the second and third round. The order of them is always uh is always a little tricky for me when I get far enough away from it. But anyway, yeah. So they take Emerson, who's playing. Alex Wright is a big, big defensive end, bigger than Miles Garrett, sure, just sheer stature, but just not as refined. He's played some snaps though. He's been around. He's he's played as Jadevian and Miles have both missed some time. Uh, David Bell has been the Browns' third receiver, not seen a ton of targets, but he is their third receiver, plays a lot of slot for them. Jerome Ford is hurt currently. They, they took a running back out of Cincinnati. I think it's a nice play. Had a good preseason, mm-hmm. was returning kicks, but he had an uh, ankle injury, so we'll see if he's back. Um, then they took um, Perrion Winfrey. Um, yeah, so Perrion Winfrey and Cade York uh, in that fourth-round range. So they took Perrion Winfrey, defensive tackle out of Oklahoma, who was, you know, some people had mocked him as high as the second round 44th pick. I didn't see it. I didn't understand it. He's a very uh, high, high playing, put a high playing defensive tackle who does not, he's played early this year and it has been a train wreck. And we'll, like I said, we'll talk about that room collectively, but he has not played well. He has been uh, completely bullied off the line, not handling double teams, not doing his job enough. Um, so he's been disappointing. But again, I understand there's a long development curve there. We'll see if he can figure it out. D tackles among the hardest transitional positions in the NFL going from one gap college stuff. So uh, totally get that it could take some time there. Cade York, their picker, uh, pick for a kicker, uh, you know, uh, heavily discussed taking a kicker in the draft. And listen, if the Browns were in the NFC West, they might, they probably don't do this, but they're in a division with kicking talent that is out the, that's crazy. You know, I think McPherson's a great young kicker. I think, you know, Tucker's the best kicker to ever live. And then you're dealing with Boswell, who's done for, you know, perpetually underrated in Pittsburgh and they feel pressure. So they, they took York, who I think is talented, very big leg, has made some nice kicks, can kick up to 65, 70 yards. It's a, it's a huge leg, very talented, but it's just the NFL turnaround, getting used to the field goal post, getting used to the height, tight hashes, getting used to all that stuff. He's missed a couple. He, he, um, he made a game winner week one, 58 yards, probably good from 65 or more. He, he drilled it really well. Big win uh, against Carolina, but then he's missed a couple extra points. The specific one against the Jets when it could have been 31-17 instead of 30-17, to which you don't think that's going to matter under two minutes, but it comes back and they lose by a point. And then uh, this last week against the Chargers, sorry, week before this last week, he missed a 44-yarder before half, which was way right, and then missed a 54-yarder to win the game. So up and down. He was three for three last week. He's he's talented as heck, and I think they're going to be patient with him, and I, I believe he will be really good over time. So they like him. And then some later picks that have um, 
uh, not really, you know, it's too early. Mike Woods finally, wide receiver at Oklahoma, is finally active this last week, had his first NFL catch, but bigger body guy, but needs some some time to refine kind of how they use him in this offense. Isaiah Thomas is a seventh-round defensive end they took out of uh, Oklahoma as well. He's had some NFL snaps, nothing really noteworthy. He's very stiff. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be a very good NFL player over time unless he he gains some athleticism. Uh, puts on a little bit more muscle. We'll see if that works out for him. A little older. Uh, guard Dawson Deaton is on the IR, so that's the rookie class. Some some contribute um, some, some contributors, but not any of the big names because they didn't pick until the third round. I mean, they pushed themselves down a little bit, and then they're trying to gather picks. And I think they'll probably do something similar this upcoming season. So Martin Emerson, uh, the third round guy, aircraft carrier size corner at six two, almost two hundred pounds, uh, was a guy I really liked. Um, yeah. But but uh, you happy with the pick, generally speaking? Yeah, I like him. I think he's good. I mean, I think he's he's more comfortable further away. He's more of a field corner. They use him in their cover three stuff. They've gone mm-hmm. to more cover one in recent weeks, a lot more man. I think I talked about the other day on Twitter that the Browns are the fifth highest usage of man in the NFL since week four. So they're going to a lot more man coverage. He's been exposed a couple times. I think he's a better zone corner uh, than man corner, but he's he's a willing tackler. He'll get up there and play. He's a good at the ball. Uh, ball's arrival uh, catch point player. He's done really well. I mean, for a third round rookie, I think he's done admirably filling in uh, against some some nice wide receivers. All right, outstanding. Uh, how about uh, injuries and they, how they currently sit with the Browns? Yeah, um, I have not seen the injury report yet, but they they're on the like so guys who matter. Uh, Miles Garrett had an automobile accident a few weeks ago before the Atlanta game. So three weeks now. It's time is flying. This month is going so fast. Um, he did not play Atlanta, came back and played the next two weeks. He started to look a little more like himself last week, left late in the game, but I think he's okay. Seems like he's going to play ward concussion. Seems like he is not going to play based on still being in protocol. I know he could get out and play, but not trending in a good direction there. He did not play last week. Jadevin Clowney had an ankle injury week one, left that game, didn't play until the chargers game. And now has missed last week as well. So he's I, undetermined. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Uh, Wyatt Teller, their stellar right guard, uh, calf injury, calf strain in a walking boot right now is not going to play this weekend as far as I know. Um, so those are your bigger injuries that I know offhand uh, that are lingering for guys that matter. Uh, they lost Anthony Walker early in the year. Their Mike linebacker to a quad tear. So he was out week two. He did that against Pittsburgh. So they're playing Jacob Phillips, who we've talked a good a good bit, a bit mm-hmm. about over the years on your show. Um, but uh, I think that's it. Greedy Williams came back last week. Seems like he'll be back here uh, for this week as well. And he's always dealing with that. He has a re- regenerative nerve issue in his shoulder. So he's sort of in and out sometimes, but he seems to be playing uh, comfortably right now. So, yeah, that's the biggest pieces. Uh, the offensive line's relatively healthy. Otherwise, D-line, pretty much the guys we've talked about. Yeah, that's it. That's the most part. That's, that's who matters that will be uh, questionable or not playing. Okay. Uh, fair enough. I think we've hit enough on the long run cap situation and what you've talked about already, but uh, they do have a fair amount of push forward dollars, meaning they've got uh, mm-hmm. risk of dead money. So in terms of restructurable dollars, that's a big thing. Dan Reese, excellent cap guy here. Also, also we have uh, Raven salary cap, Ryan McFarlane, uh, two guys who really look at the amount of cap you really have that is restructurable. You get the money you've already spent, you got some restructural money that you that you have that you can tap into under the normal precepts of the contract to push it forward. Uh, you know, get, obviously get back a portion over the years remaining on the contract, and then mm-hmm. you have other money you have to, you can only get at by um, you know putting out a new uh, an extension, 
uh, on the contract. Uh, do they have a fair amount of that second group of restructurable dollars still? To be completely honest, I don't have a great pulse for who is restructurable down the line. I do know these players have new deals that are going to kick up salary cap numbers in the coming years. And Joku got a new deal. So his number's low this mm-hmm. year. It's going to jump. Ward's number's manageable this year. New deal. It's going to jump. Uh, Miles is going to jump in the coming years. Teller just got a new deal in Chubb. Those guys, those are your core five, including now the 43 million per year quarterback mm-hmm. that are going to jump. They restructured Amari Cooper's deal this past year uh, off season to push some of his deal down the line a little bit. I think, I think don't quote me here, but I think Betonio who just got an extension will be eligible for some movement off of his deal to push down the line a little bit. And then I continue to be told that they will do similar things with Watson's deal converting cap um, uh, at least one more time, maybe two into uh, into some bonuses. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not the greatest. We have a guy on staff at the OBR is really good at this, but to your point, I, if you ask me spot on right now, which guys, how do you how do you know who's eligible for those sorts of things and who's not? I couldn't tell you. So I just know that they have money that is like the reason they're rolling over so much. They love to do void years. They get it from the Howie Roseman because Andrew mm-hmm. Barry spent time in Philly with him. They love to do that. And obviously, we all know the, sp- the salary cap is going to jump in the next few years. So that'll help. And they want to keep that rollover money. That's the big debate here. Why not go sign and Dominican Sue who can make your defensive tackle group a little better or somebody else or a wide receiver like a Kenny Stills or anybody, anybody. And I think their wide receivers have been fine, but um, many examples. And it's like, well, what they're doing is they're realizing they have an 11 game window without their best quarterback. And they're not going to take away and eat money into future years where they can put that money into a single year investment and sign a clowny again or somebody else. So big jumps coming for some of these guys. Uh, I, I'll be interested um, to I'm not sorry, I don't have better insight on this, but I, I'll be very interested to see who they do this with because it's their sizable jumps Ken. I mean, I'm talking like there's some guys who are going to jump up double digits. So they're, they're how they manage and navigate that is going to be interesting because they've given guys, they've doled out contracts the last two years to, to important players. Now, do you have kids, Jake? I do. Yeah. Two. Okay. Yep. Fantastic. So you know how tough a time kids have with delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. I mean, with that cookie now, they, they don't want to wait a cookie. And there's all kinds of psychological experiments about this, but I find that to be true of the most vocal of fans on Twitter is that they just, we got to do something. We got to do something now. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the group that is actually the most patient about their team being good are season ticket holders. Got a long-term investment in, yeah. in your thing. And they're, we're just incredibly patient saying, no, level, try to make the playoffs every year, always be in the tournament. I don't want, yeah. I don't want to have a year where my tickets are worth nothing and I can't, you know, I don't enjoy going to games and all oh, that, that would, that would suck. So that's good perspective. That's yeah. really good perspective. But I, I will say like of people in Cleveland that have turned out to be good players recently, and it has been a long time, Ken, since they've seen a slew of players they've either acquired or drafted turn into good players. We've not yet seen any of them walk. There was discussion around the Browns would never pay a running back. Well, they paid him. They would never pay guards. They paid both. Mm -hmm. So like we have not seen a really good player Cleveland has picked, developed, and they can't afford. So that's where it's like, we'll see, you know, because that's Mm -hmm. tough to see your franchise pick, develop, and and, and do that stuff and then not be able, able to give that guy money. So as Deshaun's money kicks in and all these other five names I just gave you kick in, Somebody develops. Donovan Peoples-Jones continues to get really good. Well, we can't afford him. He's going to have to go somewhere. That's that's when I think it's going to be new territory for people who cover and care about the Browns. 
I'll just say this, and I, I don't mean to overlord this or be be a, a condescending in any way. You know, being a fan of a team who has great draft record over, mm-hmm. over their over their team's history, uh, those teams are forced to make heartbreaking choices relative yeah. to the cap, just so consistently. Yeah. And so you end up, you know, Pernell McPhee's leaving now. Oh no! And you know, all these good players that you loved, yeah. uh, you were so happy drafting, they all end up going. And it's it's uh, and and you know, in this case, it was done for for a, a quarterback that didn't lead them to the promised land again after the big mm-hmm. deal was signed. So that's that's the thing too is like you want to be in that position. Everybody yeah. should want to be in that position, but Cleveland hasn't been in it for so long that we talk about it. You prepare for it. You tell your fan base, this is coming. And then I'll just, I'm just me personally, uh, as as I was talking earlier about, man, I can't wait to see how the Lamar thing works out is like, this is going to be another one where I'm just going to sit back and watch people melt down over it because you can't, you can't keep them all. You really mm-hmm. can't. It's that it's not structured to, to work that way. So you better draft well. That's the thing. You better keep cycling them in and out because that's how it's going to have to work if you sign those quarterbacks and other than key cogs that give you those victories that you, you crave on Sunday. All right. Outstanding stuff. Let's talk about Jacoby Brissett a little bit. So what's he done for the Browns so far this year? Um, Admirably is, I think, the word I would use. Now, he had a really rough game last week. I don't know if there's a stigma he has being a former Patriot and drafted by Belichick, and he didn't – He. I wrote about it, Ken. It's on my Twitter feed. Like he just missed a lot of reads. The Patriots actually blew the most coverages last week in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus's charting, which I do believe in their pass game charting. There were guys open, man, and he just couldn't find them. The pressure rattled him. The looks, the mugged looks. So a lot of walked up double A mugs and other walked up looks, creepers at the line of scrimmage gave him a fit. Now I would be very fascinated if Baltimore replicates some of that because that's the most uncomfortable I have seen Brissett look this year. Um, simulated pressure though. You're talking about a lot of it dropped out of by Belichick more dropped than brought, but they brought two seven man pressures that created two turnovers. So that's noteworthy. They brought two. He didn't recognize it, got hit on one as he was throwing it under thrown, picked off another one, uh, caused a fumble on a throw from him. So that's again, not many people have brought that many people, uh, after the quarterback, because most times people are really afraid of, the running game and Cleveland really hasn't put themselves in many positions where they've had to play this way. Predictable pass sets, you know, th- those true pass drops that, that, that are like, Hey, you know, we're throwing, we know we're throwing, we're going to have to do this. That's when it can get fun for a defense. So he didn't handle it well though. But uh, again, otherwise he, he was a little rocky in the Carolina game, but made some nice plays at the end in the opener. But since that, and in between the Patriots game, he's been really good. He's been really good. Uh, four games graded over 67 and, uh, passing grade, which is it's just pretty strong for a backup quarterback. He's taking care of the football really well, uh, except for at the very end of games. He is missing, like, again, the Jets game. They they uh, put themselves in that situation where they're down 31-30 with 30 seconds left, tried to throw a ball down the middle of the field, didn't see a linebacker, and gets picked off. Shouldn't have had to even be out there, but he was out there, and he missed a throw, read, and picked off. The Falcons game, they're marching down the field trying to get the, the game-tying field goal, and he gets intercepted in that one and um, that ends that game. And then this Patriots game, uh, sorry, sorry, the uh, Chargers game, it's 30-28. Browns have it with about two minutes left. They're marching down the field, down to the 10-yard line. He does a great job, scrambles out of the pocket, rolling right, could probably pick up a third and seven with his feet to the three-yard line, throws across his body, and it's picked off in the end zone. So he's had three crippling late-game interceptions, but he's been really good outside of this. He's making a lot of the throws that the scheme allows him to make and gives him. Kevin Stefanski's doing the things that he continues to do in Cleveland, which is scheme people open. 
Um, and Jacoby's been pretty good, but you, you're reminded of like, what's the difference between an average to below average quarterback and the really good ones. And why do they pay them? Well, they can handle chaotic moments at the end of games without getting rattled. They can handle creeper pressures and different looks without getting rattled and deliver those throws. And when it's tight coverage, right? So he's not that guy. So, um, it's it's again, I use the word admirably because I think he's been better than what I anticipated, but he's left some meat on the bone and and he's not he's been a driving factor in why the offense has been a top 10 EPA offense this year. Uh, he's helped significantly more than hurt, I think is the best way to say it, but he's limited. He is ultimately a limited guy that when you know, what do they call uh, uh, the, those guys in basketball, man, the shot clock's running down. You know, everyone's figured out your defense. They toss it to you with five seconds left, and you have to figure out how to make a shot. Those are the quarterbacks that matter, right? They're mm-hmm. taking away the drive concept we wanted to throw against cover two. What do I do? Oh, I scramble out. I make a play with my feet. I extend the play, or I find a guy here in the pocket that maybe wasn't supposed to be found. Those are the guys that matter, and you're dealing with one in Baltimore. So Cleveland is waiting to think they think they have that guy, but Jacoby is not, and that has cost them chances to win games. He's not, but the offense has been fine. The offense has been good. Defense is a joke. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It's been such a letdown. <laughs> but Jacoby has been what you would expect, plus a little bit more. So I've been pleased. I'll be I'll be very interested to see how he bounces back this week because he was rough. He was it was his worst game by far this year last week. All right, let's move on to the offensive line. Just take us through some left to right in terms of uh, who's playing, who's playing well. Yeah, Jedrick Wells, uh, Jedrick Wills, excuse me, at left tackle, third year, uh, very important year, up and down again. Super talented, doesn't know. He just doesn't play hard enough for me, Ken. He doesn't, he's got a, prop- a propensity to look around and like do the rep and do 90% of it well, but then give up before the whistle's blown and maybe not stay on a block long enough. Or maybe thinking the quarterback has thrown it downfield and kind of quitting while he's scrambling near you and you, you're, you're stopping. Like he just doesn't play through the way. He could be a top five NFL tackle. He has so much athleticism and natural strength. But there's just like a question amongst people who cover him is, does he love football? Is he, does he play it because he's been Whoa. bigger than everyone else and he's athletically gifted and everywhere he's been, including the SEC, he's been able to get by because he's gifted. And the question to me is, does this young man love football and does he, does he, does he really want to be great at it? Because he could be. And there's just like, I'm not Bill Callahan, who I think is the most gifted offensive line coach in football running the Browns offensive line. I have to imagine some of the stuff on film drives him bonkers, but they're that they, they, I don't, I shrug my shoulders. I don't have any other answer for it other than I just question whether he loves it. So they're in a really interesting situation with the next contract for that young man. Cause it's a, it's a year that they have to make a decision about his fifth year option after yeah. this season. All right, you've heard us talk about liquid death for a few weeks now, but have you started paying attention when you go to your convenience store? Did you notice those strange tall boys of beer? but they're in the bottled water section or they're in a store that doesn't sell alcohol, but it looks like they've got beer. It's because it's not beer. It's mountain spring water from the Alps and it's called liquid death. Why is it called liquid death? Well, because it brutally murders your thirst. It's infinitely recyclable. Tallboy cans are helping to bring death to plastic bottles. Plus they donate 10% of the profits to every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. And I don't know, for some reason, it seems like the water's always colder in a can rather than a bottle. Plus, you can have some fun with it. I had fun this weekend where I took a couple tall boys of Liquid Death to Coach Little League. You put those right into the uh, dugout with a bunch of eight-year-olds, and you'll get some attention. You got some parents looking. 
definitely get some attention. But no, I have to show everyone it's just liquid death. I'm just drinking water in a dugout with a bunch of little league kids. So go get liquid death for yourself. Test it. Try it out. You're going to fall in love with it like I do. So go get liquid death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find a liquid death retailer near you with the store locator tool at liquiddeath.com forward slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. So same same space as Patrick Queen is, but something specific I want to ask you, because this is something in, in grading offensive line play I often see in players who kind of have that rep, they give up on a block too early, is that they don't have the greatest independent hand usage to start with. And so, you know, they, they sometimes they play football with two flippers. And I, I don't I don't remember really looking at Willis coming out of college to know if he if he was a, you know, really used two arms together too much of the time for, for my comfort. Um, but but is he a guy who who is constantly almost playing a video game with the other guy, at least early in the rep to try and to try and punch and repunch with separate hands? somewhat somewhat he so what i'll just give you my kind of scout he's he's lower body gifted he can move his pass set is lightning quick and he is gifted enough to be able to handle in and out moves guy makes a quick sudden burst inside or if they're trying to speed rush him outside he can handle that stuff where he struggles is punch delivery he does not handle consistently striking the way he needs to strike to then slow down Mm -hmm. or make a guy recalibrate what he wants to do to him so that puts him in a situation where he's too often getting into his own chest plate leaning um and then run game wise cleveland is so predicated on body positioning in their outside zone stuff that sometimes he will get lazy in terms of his body will be where it needs to be but he's not active and drive or active with the hands to your point and will just sort of be passive at the moment of pass from a running back which will just allow somebody to slip by the thing that he struggled with last week is the Patriots are so physical. They're physical mm-hmm. as heck. They're going to beat you. Their goal is to beat you up. And he didn't respond to it very well, but you'll see him have some reps where he played Khalil Mack the week before against the chargers, as well as I've seen anyone play Khalil Mack. He just is, he's so maddening. Um, he's, he's more finesse than power. But I think you can do you can do that at left tackle, but you can't always do it. Can't be one gigantic lean in that direction. And then the stuff like I said of, hey man, if you played five to ten percent harder, you would be so much better. And he just doesn't seem to want to do that. And I'm just talking like the extra three steps on backside cutoff, the extra second and a half of blocking in the gap scheme where you have to keep not only turn your man but keep him from slipping past you as the running backs going through. It just just stuff like that where you'll watch and you know that to make a run play turn into 50 yards, it takes 11. And he's the one of 11 that just is letting his guy go at a beat too soon, you know? So uh, go ahead. Yeah. I just got to say a guy who is really athletically gifted with his feet. And we have Ronnie Stanley in Baltimore who finally is back and is looking good again. Mm -hmm. Um, it can make all the difference because the backside tackle, particularly on a run play and you you guys are, are generating a lot of offense from that. Oftentimes, his only option is to cut block. But if he's if he's got feet, he can move up to level two. And if he's really active, he'll try and pick up that cornerback from the other side. That's safety who's maybe cheating towards that side to start yeah. the play and, and figure out how to block him. And it does. It changes 10 into 30. That's exactly yeah. what it does. Yeah, and it's like you'll watch him and you'll you'll say – Man, there's 90% of a good, great football player here. But is there the drive to man that effort that it takes me to maybe get to the will on this play is the same amount of effort? I'm probably not willing to give that effort. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't happen for him. And that's, 
that's really frustrating. A great example is if your folks watch film or they want to rewatch Cleveland's game. If you got diehard film people like I do that listen to my show, it's fourth and one. It's a quarterback sneak situation. Cleveland runs it really well this year. Jacoby Brissett's one of the best big body quarterback sneak guys in the league. He's been 10 for 10. They run a fourth and one sneak, and it's there's nobody over the uh, head up nose. So there's two A gap players, both of which crash inside. It's easy for a quarterback, step slide and peek mm-hmm. into that. They they send McCordy through the B gap off of Jed's side. And as everybody wedge blocks down inside, he throws a shoulder, doesn't use his hands to move a 200 or under 200 pound. McCordy brothers aren't that big. Mm-hmm. Doesn't throw the, the, doesn't use the hands to, to, to push him by tries to chicken wing. McCordy slips through Knox Brissett st- st- hits the quarterback where he's unexpecting. And it's, they don't get the first down on fourth and one at their own 30 and turns, it just turns the shift of everything. So like, it's just little, the, and this is larger than just Jed. It's a lot of guys in the Browns right now. That's the root of the two and four issue, but he is just like, man, you, you, as a coach, you, you just kind of like pound your head against the, like, what do we have to do to get this guy to realize that he can be every bit as good as Tristan Wirfs, who was picked to pick after him. If he just did little things right all the time. So I'm sure there is internal dialogue and about, all of this up in Cleveland uh, about how to how to figure that out, and they just haven't figured it out yet. I don't know if they will. Big number coming up then for to for, for year five for him. So uh, let's let's move on to left guard and kind of go through the rest of these guys. Uh, yeah, I'll try to be a little hastier here. So left guard is Joel Batonio, stellar, always stellar. I mean, just a perpetual All Pro who I think is trending toward a Pro Bowl consideration. I mean, he's just been that good for that long. Um, and mean insanely good player. It's hall, hall of famer. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, he's just, if he continues to do it five more years or so, and is a, is an all pro caliber player, he'll have a chance. And that's amazing for a guy who's had great longevity, playing great pass block, run block stuff, doing well. Cannot complain ever about Joel. They, they brought in Nick Harris a couple drafts ago out of Washington to be their center preseason tour, his ACL. So Ethan Posich, uh, is a young man that they, signed um out of seattle uh he was uh lsu product played in seattle more center his last few years but he got that opportunity to play center he's doing really really well in cleveland uh wearing number 55 kind of looking pretty similar to alex mack back in the day he's playing really really good football for cleveland um to the point that i think there's consideration of do we get a short-term two three-year team-friendly deal done with him because he's playing that well in this system he's finally found one that works well for him what year is he in I think he's in his fifth year, fifth or sixth. Okay. He played out a full second round rookie contract with Seattle. I think. Okay, uh, so the, to spot check me on that. The 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 idea is that if you're in a third year, then the, the team has a lot of leverage in trying to get that team friendly deal done. But if it's in the fifth year, then you got to catch the player on the right day of the week because they know they're a free agent at the end of the year. <laughs> That's true, and he's only on a one year deal. I mean, he did not play all too well in Seattle, not anywhere near the level he's playing here now. So I do I do wonder if there's interest from his side playing his best football with a great O line coach surrounded by great guards. We'll see. I would hope because he's playing really well. But they do also like Nick Harris, who had a great offseason and played good football last year. So maybe there's not a dire urgency to do something like that right now. Uh, right guard, we talked about Teller was playing good football this year, had really cleaned up some of his pass pro work. He's out this week. They'll play. It's pretty surprising to a lot of us that, that we thought they'd play Michael Dunn, who's been their sixth offensive lineman on the field for a lot of their heavy looks, jumbo personnel looks. But they played Yodi Froholt, who's an Arkansas product, who's been around the league a little bit, bounced around. He was with the Patriots, bounced to the Browns practice squad, number 72. He's not all too overwhelmingly big, but he played well last week. He was fine, not as good as Wyatt by any stretch, but he was fine for a guy coming in playing 55 snaps 
against a really tough front in New England. So I'll be interested to see if Froholt starts this week, but he should be at right guard. And Jack Conklin's back starting at right tackle looks comfortable again coming off last year. He tore his patella. It's really gross for the guy, man. He, he, he dislocated his left elbow, comes back three weeks later, and in the second quarter of his first game back from an elbow dislocation, ruptures his patella tendon. So he had a really rough go of it. Um, but he's back right tackle looking good, playing well. Um, and I, I, I think his anchor looks strong. I think his feet continue to be good. He's one of the best zone blocking offensive tackles in the NFL. And uh, they really like they restructured his deal before this season to keep him around this year at a, at a more stomachable number than his original uh, free agent contract that was prior to 2020. So he's doing really well. And I will be interested if Cleveland figures out some way to keep him around. Next year, they have a young man named James Hudson that they like. They took in the fourth round of last year's draft, who's played a little bit of ball. He was in there for large parts of the time when Conklin missed the beginning of the season. So uh, there's just between Harris and Hudson, you can see where they might, you know, you got to let Conklin go because you can't afford him, or you got to let Postage go for the young guys that they maybe feel like uh, are, are going to have to take those jobs to, to keep the cap numbers a little bit lower. But um, yeah, that's the five. And, um, you know, I think, I think, you know, to your larger point about Wills, you know, Tennessee let, Conklin go uh, a guy who was an all pro in his rookie contract in mm -hmm. Tennessee. They didn't give him his fifth year and they let him walk. So that's where Jedrick's situation is going to be really fascinating because um, do you know, do the Browns a feel of the ability to stomach a contract at left tackle, which is never cheap or B you know, do they let him walk and say, we'll figure out a way to replace who this player is. That's, that's a big focal point in Cleveland right now with offensive line stuff. It was an interesting when it happened with Conklin. It was an interesting one because uh, he, I guess, his third season might might not he might not have been quite as good, but his fourth season he was really good. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure they regretted the fact that they uh, they hadn't given him the fifth year option at that point. I know it's 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 difficult there because all the offensive line are grouped together for for how you determine the or at least that was the case at one point uh, for how you determine the salary you have to pay them. So you never give it to a center, but you pretty much always give it to a tackle if they're if they're pretty good. Um. Repeat that last part of the question. It okay. cut out just a bit. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, uh, so the, uh, under the fifth year um, option deals, you do it for the average of whatever of the of the the players at the at the top of the position. Except the position group is defined as being the entire offensive line, and so it, it, it centers make less, and it's generally not worth it to yeah. do it for a center. And Ryan Jensen was a Ravens example where they didn't pick it up, for example. And and the other possible uh, another possibility would have been I'm sorry Ryan Jensen wasn't even a first round pick so it didn't matter but they could they couldn't give Ryan Jensen a you know what I'm thinking of the franchise tag I think I better just withdraw all this and we'll admit that yeah. that's all good that's all good I will not edit that out though you still get to hear what a nimrod I am in terms of making that point so it's all good. yeah I, I think it will be interesting though to your larger point about left tackle it's not as much as maybe tackles only um mm -hmm. you know uh, there's some contracts worth keying in on in Cleveland big big decisions we've seen some big decisions for his teammates in the interior big decision on Nick um but I don't think it's a lock with Jed the way some people think it's a lock. So we'll just have to really key in on what their decision is there because um, they did. To me, I was paying attention to whether they drafted a tackle in this last draft, late tackle, to see if they could just take mm -hmm. a lotto pick, and they didn't. So um, we'll see what that ultimately yields. But it is wildly important for him to keep putting good tape on the field this year. That's for sure. All right. Uh, talk about the tight end position. Yeah, and David Njoku is coming along. He's coming along. Guy that has been, his path has been circoitous to say the least, up and down over the years. He started two great first years, 
second year, uh, sorry, third year injury gets hurt, falls back, regresses, doesn't really play many games, wants to be traded, takes the trade request back. Stefanski comes in, buried behind Austin Hooper for a couple of years, but you could see it. He was starting to block so much better and blossom as a receiver. You could see it. They sign him to a nice extension, give him some good money, and uh, they're starting to reap some rewards. Over the last three weeks, most receiving yards amongst, uh, among any tight end uh, is, is starting to produce the way you need a guy like him to produce for the money paid him. But here's why he's great. He's a three-down bona fide three down tight end and a lot of offenses don't require their tight ends to do the things he's required to do and i'm talking hey man i need you to turn this edge kick him out or turn him be the lead anchor part of our outside zone run game we need you to be a guy who can crack down on linebackers and our our gap scheme and handle those guys like he is a bona fide three down tight end who can block with the best of them because he's a huge human being mm-hmm. i mean he's not just tall but really really muscular build like one of those guys, when you see him up close, you're like, I cannot believe we're from the same species. Like he is a, he's a, he's one of the first off the bus types, Ken. Like he's just a big dude. He's up there with miles in terms of guys that you see from Cleveland side that are like, those guys are really big human beings. And, um, it's, I'm happy for him that it's coming together. He's making catches on balls, arrive. He's always struggled with footballs that involve him having to kind of go lower than his belly button, dip the hands, turn the hands. And uh, anything that has been thrown hard, which Baker Mayfield was a fat, I always called Baker Mayfield as a closer out of the bullpen. He did not have tempo. He was a, mm-hmm. he was a, he was a fireballer, a lot of throws. And he struggled with throws over his head thrown hard. Um, Watson will help with that. And Jacoby's been better. And I think it's all sort of clicking for him. So he's made some nice progressions in route running. He's made some nice progressions in catch, uh, catch point location stuff. Hasn't found the end zone yet, but there's been some opportunity. I think it's a matter of time to find the end zone a few times, but they're very happy with him. Harrison Bryant is their next guy drafted him in, uh, uh, before 2020. So 2020 draft. And he is, um, he's about as boring as it gets. I mean, he's, there's nothing <laughs> great. He's like a cheaper version of Austin Hooper is what I called him. When they let Hooper go before this year, he just, he, he's a try hard type with limited athleticism. He, he can, Catch the football for the most part. Um, he blocks hard, but he he's a transitioned wide receiver to tight end in his in his college career. So he doesn't bring in an, an excellent amount of technique or um, muscular build to that stuff. So he just doesn't always handle it as well as he needs to. So he's just he shouldn't hurt anybody unless he gets schemed open. He's not really a threat that I think teams are preparing for, but he's out there a lot. And then the third tight end, they've shuffled some people. They started the year without a third tight end, really. They've had Miller Forrestall, a young man out of Alabama, uh, that they've practice squad and brought up, but he's since uh, been been pushed away. Then they brought in uh, J- Jesse James, was longtime Pittsburgh tight end. Uh, he had an elbow tear of some variety. He is, uh, I think, on IR at this point. And then they brought in Farrell Brown just recently. Uh, and Farrell Brown had several catches last week. He was solid. Uh, they didn't go three. I think they went 13 person only nine times. So they're not using it as much as they have in the past, but only, um, <laughs> yeah, well, that is an only for us. It's all relative, yeah. right? So they they have been lean. They leaned into it so heavily last year. They're not doing it as much this year. So uh, when they do go three though, they, they seem to like Farrah who's been in Cleveland before. And he was a, he's a Cleveland guy is born and raised around in the suburbs of Cleveland. So um, they like him. You know, I think he'll be around a little long-term here. That'll be an interesting one of the interesting matchups for the Browns defense this week will be they they know they don't no doubt see a lot of this 13 
from the from their own in practice, and they're going to see a plenty of thirteen, I think, from the Ravens who uh, activate four tight ends even when they're not going to use the fourth one for any offensive snaps. It seems. Yeah, uh, that- the Browns have done that a lot in the past. They've seemed to have a little shift going on here. The thing is, though, they still love it. They'll bring in, like I referenced earlier, Michael Dunn. They've run the most six offensive lineman sets this year. They still want to do that stuff. They've actually run several seven offensive lineman sets where they bring in Froholt, who I was talking about earlier, has been playing fullback in, in goal line situations. Uh, I don't think that's going to keep up with Froholt starting. We'll see if they have someone else they want to plug and play there. But they did not keep a fullback on the roster. They let Andy Janovich go this year, so they didn't keep a fullback. So they kind of let Bryant do it when they want to do it every now and again. Uh, or like I said, in goal line, they'll bring in a bigger body. They have. I don't know if they will we'll see what they do uh, moving forward, but that's been their their genuine plan. They, they're maybe hiding the 13 personnel a little bit by the 6-0 lineman looks, but they still mm-hmm. want to do that stuff. And they've been really good with it this year. Uh, they, I, I, I would love to know what the Browns have done this year because I don't have 2022 data, but the Ravens are playing the heaviest sets in recent NFL history this year with 2.2 three approximately heavies per play and that's a combination of sixth offensive linemen tight ends and fullbacks mm-hmm. uh they they last week they played 11 personnel for two snaps so uh they've had wow. several other times where they really haven't played as well but it, anyway battle of the jumbo uh teams in this week that's for sure indeed indeed uh keep going to wide receiver yeah, wide receiver will hit quick. Amari Cooper playing good football. So he's clearly approaching 30. He has some limitations every now and again in terms of the twitchiness that he thrived on early in his career. But he's still doing so many things well. I'd imagine Humphrey uh, brings his assignment uh, that that direction quite a bit. So uh, it's it's going to be a fun battle. Amari's still running great routes. He's still getting separation. Made a heck of a touchdown catch in the right corner of the end zone last week. But there are times, and I'm sure you watch film like I do, where your guys get a little older and you're like, I see it there. He doesn't, he maybe stumbles there or he doesn't stumble there, or he doesn't maybe keep the sideline compressed away and, and kind of fall into that shoulder on a fade. Like he just, just little things, but still a very good football player. Very good football players playing good this year. Um, playing well, excuse me. Um, Donovan Peoples Jones is their second guy. A lot of Z reps. Um, very, very good contested catch player. He's catching a lot of tough throws, not a separator, not twitchy, but lanky six, two, um, just somehow finds a way to create just enough wiggle room and, and contested catch guy that, that does it well. He had a really great sideline catch last week and he caught, I think six passes collectively for the week. Like, he's tough. He's just a, he's just a battler. He's not going to, I mean, if he's your second wide receiver, it's probably not a great wide receiver room, but he's just, he's good enough. And he makes a lot of catches and he does, he doesn't drop it very often, and he's where he's supposed to be and when he's supposed to be, and he blocks hard in the run game. They like him because of those things, and he's a sixth-round pick, so you feel good about getting that result for three years now from a sixth-round pick. So sure. they like him. He's their second guy. I referenced David Bell earlier. Not much going on target-wise there, maybe a couple of game. I will be interested to see when Watson comes back, if that upticks, maybe when we all get together again for a second battle, um, where he goes from there. But they're – not uh, comfortable putting certain things into Jacoby's lap. They limit some of that stuff. And a lot of times that alienates your third or, or slot wide receiver. Um, and then uh, over uh, the, the other one that they do use a little bit is Anthony Schwartz, who's a uh, second round pick in his third year, who, um, sorry, his second year now. I don't know. I I, I don't see it. The, the speed has never translated the way it was supposed to translate. He is not, he doesn't do any one thing well. And if you don't do any one thing well, 
it's hard to see a guy sticking long-term. He's young. He'll only be, he's only going to play this year at 21 for most of the season, but like I, he doesn't catch it. Well, he doesn't frame it. Well, he doesn't track it. Well, he doesn't run the burning speed that you thought he had does not manifest itself on the football field the way it's supposed to. And he's not a return guy. He's not a great special teams player in terms of other aspects of like a gunner. So I can, I don't see it. They gave him the, I would have cut him before the year. Cause you can just sometimes see it. You can just sometimes see it. And I don't, I don't think it's there. And I, I think they're giving him another year. Cause he's so young, 22 right now um, was drafted at 21. I apologize. I was off a year a minute ago. I, but the, the long-term nature of it is, is hard to see working out. So um, that's their fourth guy. They, they, I referenced Mike Woods earlier. He's their fifth guy. Uh, shouldn't really play all too much. Like I said, he played garbage time last week when the Patriots took that game out of uh, out of hand. So uh, that's the wide receiver group that they're going to obviously be looking to improve uh, in the coming years and drafting. And, and they passed, but they passed on some t- t- some talent. Like George Pickens was there at 44. Mechie yeah. was there. I know Mechie at the time. Mechie was was uh, not in the situation he's in right now, but there's Sky Moore. There was a lot of talent there that they passed on. So they like these guys enough. Um, and I think they've been fine. They've really not been a weakness the, the way some people thought, but it's not an overwhelmingly talented group. Were you doing a live draft show this year? Mm-hmm. Okay. So do, at, at, with the other guests or other people you had on the show, was there a consensus to draft Pickens at, at 44? Cause it we definitely some, was at 45 for the Ravens. There was some internal buzz about personality things that we had gathered that, that gave us this indication. They were I, from the tape and who he was as an athlete, which is manifesting itself right now, it was a no-brainer. I mean, it was a no-brainer from all the age guardrails the Browns like to hit and the athletic spark score stuff that they like to hit. It all made sense. But there was some off-field stuff that gave a lot of people like some think that thinking some thinking that they might, and again, it's kind of ironic saying it now that they've taken this chance on Watson, but there was just some stuff about maturity that I think that they were concerned about that I wasn't surprised they went a different direction. But I I had a hard time not taking him. I had a hard time not taking him because I thought he was really, and I think he's, it's bearing itself out in front of us. He's really talented. And they're playing a pancake offense in Pittsburgh right now, as we've all seen, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, they, they, that guy is very talented. I thought, I thought it would have been a no brainer for them, but again, there could be, I, the question was never asked to them to, to why they didn't take him. So I don't, I don't have a great feel for that. All right. Well, great stuff. Take us through quickly on Chubb and Hunt, and then we'll move to the defense. Yeah, Chubb's playing as good a football as anyone in the NFL at the running back position. I think he is he's so gifted. He's so gifted, his ability, the hips, the way he can turn, and without losing acceleration, the vision stuff. I don't need to go deep into detail. Just know that he's everything they're planning to stop, the same way New England had to, because if you let him dictate things, it's going to be a challenge for your defense. So he's playing really well best of the best uh, as far as I've ever seen him go and that's saying something because he's had some great years already uh, wide zone gap stuff anything you want to do with him he's able to do it and do it effectively Kareem Hunt is hit or miss he's still so he's so impatient at times and I don't think he sees things uh, cutback wise the way he needs to but he's talented he's still good he's still they, they have this interesting tit for tat thing which is like Nick is this it's almost like different fighters Ken. where like Nick is this, he is an artist at the mm-hmm. position. He just is like, like poetry in motion, the way he handles it. And Kareem is this like in your face downhill, right? So as Nick is like, 
you have to be super disciplined, right? I got to, I got to play my run fit. I got to stretch it out. I got to do, or Nick will take advantage of it. He'll take advantage of it. And then, you know, in the, in the open field, he has a way of stop starting and do, like Kareem is in your face. So if you, you don't meet Kareem where he's trying to meet you, it's going to hurt. So like, they're just different types of runners, which every game, except for new England, they have punished people. They've gone over 170 every game, except for last week. Uh, they have punished people with those two guys. So we'll see if they're able to find some way to do it uh, with Baltimore. But, but uh, that is, you know, as far as what, Hey, you know, you're putting up on the whiteboard. What do we got to do this week? One, two, three, and four is run game stuff. Like stop and find a way to stop Nick. This is interesting because the one thing about the Ravens defense that I'll say, and I don't want to spend a lot of time where, given where we are, is that they really were benefited in the Giants game from getting to put three defensive alignment on the field for a lot of plays. And from the sound of it, the Browns play pretty damn heavy, uh, whether that's you know 12 or 13, which the Ravens will happily play a, play a base defense against. Uh, they're really doing, you're really doing the Ravens a favor to let them play a lot of defensive line snaps as opposed to put that slot corner on the field. Just a difference in yeah. talent level is is very high. So I look forward to this, and I think it'll, it'll be a challenge for the Ravens to stop it, but I think they, they're actually their better players are, are defensive linemen as opposed to that slot corner. I wonder if the, if Cleveland will try to do they'll, – they'll run some 11 personnel traditional stuff. They'll put mm-hmm. Bell in a tight slot and let him try to block – some backside guys, they'll do some things where they take their slot and make, and they did better with Jarvis doing that. David's a bigger guy than Jarvis Landry, but, but they'll, they're not afraid to, to go 11 and do some weak side wide zone runs and stuff like that. So to your point, how Cleveland manipulates uh, personnel will be fascinating. Yeah. They, the, the other option to, to get on three defensive linemen on the field. And you probably know this is, is using a jumbo nickel. Other people call it penny or they call it other things, but yep. three defensive linemen, two outside linebackers, but only one inside linebacker. And you take a chance with that. But if you trust your, uh, trust your safeties with run fits, you can, you can uh, uh, get away with that. That might be something they also go to uh, might also play a safety on a big slot receiver. And bell is kind of a bigger guy uh, that, that might fall into that category. He's also reasonably fast too, right? It's he's not a fast. He's 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 a a quick to high speed. I think he does a really good job getting to his high speed. Um, He's not fast, but he's twitchy. He's a very heady route runner. But again, if he gets five or six targets, that's unforeseen. They haven't gotten into that territory with him out of the slot this year. All right, let's flip it over to the defensive side. Fantastic information. I mean, just I don't want to I don't want to slow you down anyway. We're just way way over an hour here. Uh, other other uh, uh, first question I always like to ask is how do the Browns af- uh, approach first and ten, and how do they approach obvious passing downs in terms of personnel? Well, they're matching. They they they'll play three backers. So if you're if you're playing three you know three tight ends or two and a full, like they're going to play base personnel. They're not afraid mm-hmm. to do it. Last week they even got desperate because they gave up the two weeks before last week they'd given up over 200 two straight weeks to atlanta uh, who's a little more wide zone base and then uh the, the chargers who were running everything inside the tackle box with basically inside zone split zone and uh some power stuff that they wanted to run so um they got desperate they played some five man five down looks with two backers and then they will play sioni taki taki a lot who is their sam so they'll play three backers four down I've seen them do a little bare front. Some people call it double eagle. They'll do a little bit of that this week. And I, I think they've had some unique game plans against the Ravens because that offense is just so much different than a lot of the other stuff they see in the league. So I would expect a fifth offensive lineman to, sorry, defensive lineman to find the field, but they'll play three backers often. Now I do know last year they deployed a bit more DB stuff, heavier DB 
looks than base because they wanted to try to bottle up Lamar the best they could. You know, that's an impossible task, but you want more speed uh, out there at times. So I don't know what the status of Ronnie Harrison is or what they're going to do there, but um, that's an interesting one to pay attention to. So this year, you know, in terms of normal quarterback structured offenses, they have gone base against anything uh, bigger personnel groupings, but I'm not. I'm not going to guarantee they're going to do that this week because I do recall a couple of times last year they were they were throwing bigger DB looks out there to try to battle and be creative against Lamar. Mm-hmm. All right, well let's let's uh, talk through the defensive line. Uh, obviously, some problems at the tackle room you mentioned earlier. Yeah, we, we've already covered Miles and Clowney playing pretty good football when they're both out there. The two backups at edge, uh, Alex Wright, we referenced marginal, decent, young. He's got to develop, and then the, on the other side, they've been playing Isaac Rochelle, who's yikes, Ken. He's a fringe NFL player. I mean, at best, I'm being nice. I mean, I don't. Chase Winovich is on IR, who they had hopes could be a rotational edge for them. Uh, they're playing Isaiah Thomas at times. Uh, the youngster out of the seventh round pick, like they're searching for anybody on that side. They're not finding any answers. So Wright has been starting opposite miles. And then there's been some rotational stuff going on there a little bit, but it's, it's bleak. The defensive tackle room and the Browns have cultivated a defense that is, it's, it's risking defensive tackle, just being a position that they try to fill with draft. Now, the problem is when you spend two fourth round picks and a third round pick, you need a guy to hit. You need one or two of them to hit. They've drafted Jordan Elliott, um, two years ago, he's in his third year now in the NFL, uh, is out of Missouri in the third round. He's been struggled his first two years. He's been below average this year, but below average is, <laughs> is good for what they're seeing at times. They, they, so he's a guy who's out there a lot. They signed Taven Bryan from Jacksonville, number 99. He's out there a little bit, uh, sorry, a lot of bit. He was hurt one week, uh, Atlanta, but he's been playing a lot and he's been okay. Uh, he was a former first round pick out of Florida who failed and is just he's just not twitchy enough and he doesn't consistently anchor those double teams to free up backers. So he's another they they just have all these pass rush types. They they drafted two others. We already talked about Perion Winfrey, a guy who just is not suited to play the run in the NFL and cannot handle any movement double team. They're just going to displace him because he plays so high. And then the other guy they took two years, uh, sorry, before I get these years confused sometimes, before 21, he's in his second year, Tommy Togiai mm-hmm. out of Ohio State. Not, again, does not, they just get displaced up front so easily that it's like they're not impact players. Now, if they can just eat two bodies, I'm typically fine with that. Let the linebackers roam freely. But when you're being displaced into the lap of a linebacker or so far down the line as to create gigantic holes, they're just not getting anything from that group. So it is a against a team that can run some unique power looks and different. Look, I'm sure Baltimore salivating. They have to be because the Browns play a defense that's structured on wide technique ends, and they really try to funnel things into their linebackers and interior. Some teams are spill teams. Some teams are, are funnel teams. Mm-hmm. Cleveland's a funnel team, and they're funneling it to some of their worst players. And it's hard sometimes to stomach doing that and that's why there's a lot of questions around the scheme that cleveland's operating and whether they're getting the most out of the talent they have it's interesting because lamar is certainly he is now a run up the middle threat and displacing interior guys is part of it but a lot of what they do is misdirection so they 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 will try and run counter jet motion run out of sidecar and have a speed threat to the outside other opposite outside obviously from from that back um but They've done a very good job of getting getting other teams to run their linebackers out of position. 
nothing gets a linebacker moving like a pulling guard is something I, I, you know, frequently say. So, you know, Lamar has had some great opportunities to run under those circumstances. The other thing they do is they do a lot of combination blocking. And so uh, when you're talking about a player like Winfrey getting double teamed, that could mean getting double teamed off the line of scrimmage, getting moved, and then getting a release off that guy to climb to level two as well. Are you seeing a lot of that or is it? hundred percent. It is, yeah. it is a problem. So it's like, not only are they being displaced or moved from that initial, you know, uh, gallop technique to double or whatever, their, their, their linebackers are being like picked off. They're just being picked mm-hmm. off as they try to fill by guys who have no concern about moving this initial double. And I can keep my eyes. I can be bracing this three tech riding them down, but my eyes are right where they need to be. Cause I have no concern about the push we're getting on this fella and peel late. So, I mean, anytime can you been as bad as they have against the run game? Like you, you can pinpoint it. And I'll tell you, it's been an issue. Like, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk linebackers. I'll just jump to those guys. Like Jacob Phillips has been, it's been a massive disappointment. I mean, just constantly out of place, uh, run fit issues. He's their green dot. So they're going to stick with him, but just his not. Yeah. It's a concern. I mean, losing Walker was huge uh, for them because Jacob Phillips has never developed into the guy they hoped he could be. uh, And it has been a problem in terms of him getting where he's supposed to be run fit wise discipline uh, in, in play action, being able to fit any pass concept, whether that's like new England last week, just picked on his robot technique. He could not, climb turn and climb to cut a crosser they threw two easy crossers on him like their teams are picking on him and and you're talking about manipulating his eyes with 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 a whole bunch of window dressing i again i'm sure that the offensive guys in 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 baltimore are salivating or it should be there should be no problem in this game manipulating him jok plays a lot it's hard i think that what they're asking the linebacker to do the will linebacker to do is a challenge really hard challenge um oftentimes being a d gap player but sometimes converting into man-to-man coverage lately and it's like you're asking a guy to play d or sorry c gap apologize c gap inside the defensive end but then play a tight end moving off of play action it's almost borderline suicide at times Mm -hmm. and they got picked on last week with it so i mean like I mean, Mark Andrews should be a number one fantasy player this week because I just think there are a ton of ways and likely too. like those guys can they can be manipulated into open space in this game if Cleveland continues to use the game plan that they have. So um, linebacker play has not been good enough. Taki Taki's been fine, but he's ultimately a slower backer who is there to fill run gaps and not play pass coverage. So, yeah, I, I just that 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 core D tackle linebacker stuff has been a big issue for them. This is obviously the Ravens have very similar problems in terms of having inside linebackers who are not contributing a whole lot to coverage, although Queen appears to be kind of turning it around the last four weeks. Um, the The question I have is this. If you have a problem like Phillips seems to be, why hasn't the green dot moved to either one of the safeties, whether it's Delpit or Johnson, who play basically every snap, uh, to have one of those two guys call the defense? You're, uh, you would have a great post on Brown's message boards right now who are asking a lot of the same questions. We do not know. I, I do not know why. Like there, That's why the, the whole thing, Cleveland and defensive, uh, everything, is, is questioned. Schematically, I don't really like where they are. I don't like their player development. I, and I don't like the number of times every week that there's just confusion about who's supposed to be doing what. That's why it, I'm not an advocate for firing coaches. I very, very rarely get there as an analyst, but I don't see it working with Joe Woods and how he's operating this thing and Jeff Howard, who runs their pass game coordination and coaches their DBs. It has been 
a massive letdown across the board. So I don't have an answer for why John doesn't do it. Who's a very smart guy, did it in LA, is comfortable doing it. I do not know. I do not know. I don't know if it's a, they think it's going to hinder the back end communication or checks that come out based on formation and they want him to be able to communicate that. And like, I don't, I don't, I really don't know. I wish I knew, but I don't. But, you know, you talk about, we, we can do DBs if you want to now. I mean, like John and, and Delpit are their primary safeties. Grant Delpit's been, you know, the thing that, that happened in the 2020 draft, Ken, is mm-hmm. Cleveland and Tampa were always going to be tied at the hip. They drafted pick before and pick after. Cleveland takes Wills, Tampa takes Wurfs. Second round, Cleveland takes Delpit, Tampa takes Winfield. And it's like both of those guys have been better players for Tampa than they have for Cleveland. Now, Grant's Achilles tear his rookie year before it even started hinders. I get it. But he's just, he's been a root of several busts in the secondary this year. And I I just don't feel like they're getting development out of him that we all hoped would happen. He's, I think he's allowing some of these things attributed uh, how they're attributed is not always spot on in terms of who's truly responsible for coverage meltdowns or whatever, but uh, he he's a lot of 130 passer rating in his direction this year. It's wow. been, it's been bad. Like last week there was a simple motion. New England was doing a lot of max protect Bailey Zappi, young quarterback, fourth round guy, Sim, simple motion, right to left Hunter Henry, just outside tackle box snap and just runs a couple step little inside like he's blocking and then climbs up field and runs a corner and Delpit is just completely toasted. He can't figure it out is, is uh slips and falls. And it's a, it's a walk in 30 yard touchdown uh, in man to man coverage where he just, you know, I, I don't, I don't mean to disrespect Hunter Henry. He's fine, but he's not the most athletically gifted tight end in the world. And it's like, you guys want to use a lot of man and you, 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 you're running a real risk here because Grant just seems to be a vulnerability a, a lot. And John is too. I mean, John, it's disappointing, you know, why you're like, well, maybe these guys aren't getting the most out of their personnel is because John was so good in Los Angeles, John Johnson, and they used him in so many ways and they have him pegged as the single, it's like a deep safety all the time. And that's not what he's best at. Cause he's not the most athletically gifted guy in the world at that position. And it's just been a letdown for him in the back half of the defense. He's never really made a mark and they signed him to a nice deal before the 21 season. And he's never, done anything that jumps off the page to you so their safety room should be better but it's really not producing how's he as a run fit guy Johnson? he's good he tackles well he's fine i mean he, he he's been known for that like la was playing him as last year when staley was the guy there was playing him as like a linebacker because they were beat up at linebacker they were playing him as a pseudo backer like he's been everywhere and he was a he was a walk-up uh walk-up guy who would play off the edge and be a, a solo shutdown tight end type like a you know, it's a true safety that you think can run fit and then also play tight ends and erase those guys like with having no fear. So, but that's not his role here. That's not what they're doing with him, which is just so interesting. Uh, to be honest, I think what happened is the Saint, like the Browns had a plant. They're trying to get a center fielder. They were trying to get a center fielder and he's now in Baltimore. He's now in Baltimore. Okay. Uh, and, and like when Williams was tagged, in New and in New Orleans, it really threw them for a loop, and they scrambled. And I think they signed somebody for the position that they shouldn't have signed based on how they were going to use it, and it's cost them because he's not worth what they're paying him to do what they're asking him to do. Yeah, the, the picks between twenty eight and forty four, if you go back to that two thousand and twenty draft, were very interesting because Patrick Queen was taken at twenty eight. There was a lot of thought that the Ravens had gotten a great bargain on him, and Jordan Brooks slipped ahead of him, and Seattle made a big mistake, and other teams, you know, who were thought to be able to pick a linebacker. One of them was 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 uh, the Raiders, and they they might have picked a corner, but they they had one of their classic 
completely off everybody's board players that they yeah. didn't need to didn't yeah. need to take Arnett or somebody. And and uh, but but the the point was the guy I really wanted in that draft was Xavier McKinney, mm. and he's playing good ball now for the Giants. Yes. And and yes. I, and I was wondering was he high on your board as a Browns he, guy? He, he was. He really was. I was hoping he would get there. When he went, it was Winfield for me. I didn't mm-hmm. like Grant Delpit's tape as a tackler. I thought for this guy who's going to be up near the line of scrimmage a lot, he misses way too many tackles. And that has played itself out in the NFL too. He misses too many tackles. And he, like, I think the, the general philosophical question that we're all asking, Ken, in Cleveland right now, as we move away from more drafts uh, that have been spearheaded by younger players, they want to get young. And I get it. We all want young if you could draft a 21 year old every day that you would, because <laughs> the, the, the curve of a guy still growing into his body and developing, but that puts pressure on two things. Ken puts pressure on development. You got to develop them. You can take a guy who maybe isn't gifted as a football awareness guy, but you got to coach him up. You got to develop and he's got to figure it out. Right. And then two, to the point of like, kind of what I just said is usually those guys are less football savvy people because they just haven't been exposed to it as long. So what you run into is the risk of you're trusting people to develop these guys. And it's like, maybe sometimes Winfield's 22 pushing toward 23 in the next three months. But that guy I know is going to be good. He's going to do the job the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah, maybe he's a little older. But that's the thing that we're all saying. Are they leaning too heavily into the young age stuff that they're missing out on good players that could be a year or a little bit older that they're just not they're just ignoring them? So I think that that's a very fair question that's being asked, especially when you cross compare some of the picks that they've passed on for guys that are younger. And it's like you're just and I think this is across the NFL. Even the, the Rams are a great example of it who have been able to pick continually. Yeah, they've been picking later in drafts, but they're getting guys. They're getting mm-hmm. players. And I know I'm talking to you who knows how that goes. You guys draft really well throughout the draft. You you put pressure. If you go young, you put pressure on developers. They got to develop. And if they don't, you're left with a guy who's 24, and I don't know what the hell to do with him. What yeah, am I going to do with him? You, you, know? really have so, to, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan to get them on the field. Some in year one, more in year two. And Pittsburgh Steelers have been a team that's drafted pretty well, but has missed a lot of that opportunity in year one and year two, in my opinion. So anyway, we need we need to call it here. And I know we talked about the cornerbacks a little bit with the injuries. Yeah, Fantastic show, but I need to do the reciprocal show. And then I have another four o'clock. So we'll uh, uh, we'll make this work. Give me one player for the Browns you think matches up very well against the Ravens in this game. Uh, good, good question. Um, I, I would, yeah, I would say, I would say David has a chance to be a problem. I think he's being a, is a problem to a lot of people right now because, uh, he's, he's able to sit fine zones and he's able to move well up the seams and how Cleveland uses play action. He's really good off of it. So I think he's going to be a tough cover as he's finding more. I mean, I could say Nick, but that's a given. I, I just think David is a dangerous cover. I think you guys have the pieces in place to, t- to handle Amari Cooper and some of the others at the wide receiver position, but I think Cleveland will try to lean heavily into tight end play in this game and see what they can get from David. Uh, on the other side, this is a, this is interesting. I, I mean, it's just for who's playing sort of thing. So I think JOK is a guy they're going to want to handle. You talked a lot about combo blocks and peels. Mm-hmm. Like he has struggled this year. He does really well. When he knows who's coming to get him, he can, I, I'd say it all time, plays running back, he plays linebacker like a running back. He'll make you miss in the telephone booth. But if he doesn't know who he's going to get to him and that guy peels late, 
He's not huge. He's a, he's maybe 225 soaking wet. It's not not big. And if you do get a hand on him, he, he can sometimes defeat him, get skinny, dip a shoulder, do some creativity, but that's something he struggled with this year. So I am sure that they are saying we have to make sure that we get secured first level and we have to appeal to JOK. Because if you let him beat you with speed, he can blow up some stuff in the backfield. So I'm sure that's going to be a focal point. So um, I'm not saying he's like a guy that I feel great about, but I'm saying that's one that if he's able to do some of the crafty stuff he does, it's hard for me, Ken, to feel very good about the defense side of the ball right now. I could give you a lame answer and say miles, but again, I'm trying to avoid their best players and give you guys something Mm -hmm. else. So I think JOK is a focal point for them. And if he's able to disrupt some of the stuff they like to do in the backfield that develops a little slower due to some movement reads, uh, play action stuff, he can be a problem. So keep an eye on 28. All right. Very good. Outstanding, Jake. Incredibly detailed stuff. I do less talking, I think, on the shows with you than I do with any other guest. And it's because your content is so fantastic. Really appreciate it. One more time with your Twitter handle and where they can find your work. Well, first, thanks, Ken. You know, I, th- those feelings are reciprocated. Um, uh, yeah, everything I do is at the OBR. So um, I have a podcast, which is also on Blue Wire, called the OBR Film Breakdown. Um, so that can be found there if you're ever uh, interested in maybe uh, meandering into Brown's waters. I always actually can. I find it interesting to listen to the opposing team's podcast after the game. I always right. like to do that because you get their reaction to the feel of your team. But um, so that's available. I do it every day of the week pod. And then um, OBR.com is our content uh, website. And then um, at Jake underscore Burns 18 on Twitter. If you guys want to have some crosstalk, I always really enjoy. I have some people that you have recommended, Ken, that I love to follow who are Baltimore people who give great perspective. So always love chatting AFC ball, uh, AFC North football with anybody who wants to get into that. All right. Outstanding, Jake. Great follow on Twitter for sure. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DM's always open on Twitter. I'd love to hear that narrow topic you got. It's about 25 minutes. We'll get into some depth on it. Uh, Jake, thanks again for coming on. Wonderful stuff. My pleasure, Ken. Anytime. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.